what the hell is a mindful leader? Is that, is that a CEO who is sitting doing meditation with uh, his company? What is that for you? Uh, um, um, I mean, I don't say that he should do meditation. I think that there are um, a couple of, of elements that a leader, I mean, first of all, it's the circumstances. The circumstances are that we need leaders that are capable of guiding people through what I call the twilight zone, the zone in which the old normal is dying. Mm -hmm. Beware, the old crocodiles can still bite, mm -hmm. still dangerous, and the new normal is not fully born. It's a zone in between the dark and the light. And to guide people through that zone is something different than to guide people through the light. Yeah. There it's, it's easy. You know the road, you know what comes next, you have your five-year plan. That's a type of leader. I've never been that type of leader myself. But now we're in the twilight zone, we're in this zone in between. You need another type of leaders. And therefore, I call it mindful leaders. First of all, they have to really know themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that it should start from who am I? Who am I as a person? Am I close to myself? Because if I'm not close to myself, how the heck am I, am I going to be possible? And am I going to be able to guide people mm. um, in a different way? It's not guiding people and to say, you should do this and should, you should do that, because I don't know. Mm. We have to tell each other and I have to feel what the others are thinking. I have to use the others and use in the positive way. Yep. So I have to be open-minded. And the only way you can be open-minded is to be in rest with yourself. Then you can be open-minded. Um, and then for the rest, I say, look, look around you people and companies are puzzled for the moment yeah. um, that we have had this pandemic, but we we're still facing climate change. We are facing inequality. We're facing racism. We are facing um, political unrest. We are facing an economical yeah, downfall. Mm -hmm. So many things that are all going to pile on top one on top of the other. So, People feel insecure. People yes. feel puzzled. So they need leaders that feel can feel compassion, that are forgiving, that are open-minded, that are um, passionately curious. I need to be curious about you, and I need to be curious about the environment, and I need to allow people to be curious, because otherwise I will never find out what is happening around me. And... I need to be a leader that is capable of giving and perceiving love. I mean, um, I mean, but that is a really different type of, of, of leadership. Yes. Okay. Hello, Rick. Hi, Peter. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, um, I'm, I'm in this hybrid world for the moment, the, the world in between the um, online events and the offline events. I've just run an offline event, small event this morning. Um, and that was, it's not the first time, it was, uh, it was already my third one. 
um, in the last uh, two weeks. But it's hard to get used to it. And this morning it was hybrid, really hybrid. So a couple of people in the room mm -hmm. and then like a bunch of people somewhere behind the screen. And that was difficult. Um, I thought that I never realized that hybrid is something else. It is not online and it's not offline. I'll, I'll try to, to explain mm -hmm. what the difference is. In an offline event, when you're on stage, let's face it, you use, as a keynote speaker, you use a couple of tricks. Use a couple of tricks to get the audience going. Yeah? You're using the vibes of the room yeah. to get the vibes and to give vibes back. That's what happens. Now, you can't use the same tricks when you do an online event. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but now it was hybrid. So I had people in the room and then it was difficult to make a choice. Yeah. Am I going to address the people in the room and use my tricks? Because I have a tool, a box full of tricks. I mean, I do this job yeah. for like 10 years. Um, and on the other hand, I had the audience that was behind the screen. And what I missed, because I was standing and I was facing the room, I missed the interaction. I missed the questions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it was strange, you know. So um, I was looking forward to hybrid events and I think, geez, I, we have to find a third breed. Yeah, yeah. Find something new. No, it's indeed. And I haven't found it yet. So this is a call to all organizers. Um, let's try to find something together. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's indeed, uh, because I, I see it as two different things. You have the online thing. Yeah. And then you have the offline thing, which for me is like, as also a musician, it's where you, you feel the, the people, you feel the energy, you feel the vibe, yeah. and then, then you become one. Yeah. Whereas online, if you're making a joke, you don't know yeah. how they're going to react on that. No, but it's, it's completely ridiculous, you know. Um, and I thought it would be closer to, I teach quite a lot. I still teach at London Business School. I love to do that. And when you're teaching, you can't use the, you can't use the tricks as well, you know. Um, but when you're teaching like um, the top level of, of a large company, um, there's no use of making those silly jokes that you make on stage. Uh, but nevertheless, you have the vibes of the room. Yeah. And um, talking to a screen, um, there are vibes, but it's a different type of vibes. And I had to get used to the vibes of the screen. Yeah. And for me, the vibes of the screen is what happens in the Q&A, in, in the yeah. questions, in the interaction. Um, and when I was performing on stage, I was kind of capable of, of splitting my brain in two. Um, part of the brain was focused on my content. Like you learn it by heart, you learn, you know how it is, you learn like 80%, you know it by heart. And the rest of the 20% is what happens between you and the audience. Mm -hmm. That is your improvisation on top of what you love, what you learn by heart. And you're using two parts of your brain. Now, in an online event, I've learned, I've been doing like, yeah, I don't know how much since 12th of, of March, but your brain gets trained into dividing into one half, one, one half or one 80% the content and mm -hmm. the content that you know by heart and 20% like, um, the interaction that you, yeah. that you see on the screen. 
Um, but now I had to split my brain in, my brain in three parts and yeah, that didn't yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah. And this may, you actually made a bridge to uh, the first question. Um, in a recent Instagram post, you posted something really interesting. You said, we need more mindful leaders. Oh, yeah. What the hell is a mindful leader? Is that, is that a CEO who is sitting doing meditation with uh, his company? What is that for you? Uh, um, um, I mean, I don't say that he should do meditation. I think that there are... Um, couple of, of elements that a leader I mean first of all it's the circumstances the circumstances are that we need leaders that are capable of guiding people through what I call the twilight zone the zone in which the old normal is dying mm -hmm. where the old crocodiles can still bite mm -hmm. still dangerous and the new normal is not fully born it's a zone in between the dark and the light. And to guide people through that zone is something different than to guide people through the light. Yeah. There it's, it's easy. You know the road, you know what comes next. You have your five-year plan. That's a type of leader. I've never been that type of leader myself. But now we're in the twilight zone. We're in this zone in between. You need another type of leaders. And therefore, I call it mindful leaders. First of all, they have to really know themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that it should start from who am I? Who am I as a person? Am I close to myself? Because if I'm not close to myself, how the heck am I, am I going to be possible? And am I going to be able to guide people mm -hmm. um, in a different way? It's not guiding people and to say you should do this and should you should do that because I don't know. Mm -hmm. We have to tell each other and I have to feel what the others are thinking. I have to use the others and use in the positive way. Yeah. So I have to be open-minded. And the only way you can be open-minded is to be in rest with yourself. Then you can be open-minded. Um, and then for the rest, I say, look look around you people and companies are puzzled for the moment yeah. um, that we have had this pandemic, but we we're still facing climate change. We are facing inequality. We're facing racism. We are facing um, political unrest. We are facing a, 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 an economical yeah, downfall. Mm -hmm. So many things that are all going to pile on top one on top of the other. So, People feel insecure. People yes. feel puzzled. So they need leaders that feel can feel compassion, that are forgiving, that are open-minded, that are um, passionately curious. I need to be curious about you, and I need to be curious about the environment, and I need to allow people to be curious, because otherwise I will never find out what is happening around me. And... I need to be a leader that is capable of giving and perceiving love. I mean, um, I mean, but that is a really different type of, of, of leadership. I mean, the things that you're saying, it's really about um, having leaders where they leave their, they're not serving or they're served by their egos. I mean, it's leaving, yeah, it's more purpose driven. And it's more about your people than you as a leader who needs to be in the spotlight 
Where did, yeah. did, where did you get that insight of self-awareness? Because, I mean, you have been quite brutally honest with yourself and self-reflecting in, in some kind of post where you, you put yourself in the, in the mirror and you said, yeah, when I was a sea level, I wasn't like that. I drove very expensive diesel cars and then the year after another, even bigger one and I was polluting all the time and I have really a command and control style. And then you're like quite rock and roll in your 50s plus whatever, telling we need more compassionate leaders. Where do you get that insight? Um, I think that it, it's always the same. When, when you're a leader, um, you tend to get dragged into what you do. Mm -hmm. um, you tend to lose your vision, your, your broad vision upon the world. Mm -hmm. um, before I, I became a business leader, I was painting, I was writing poetry, I was going to mm -hmm. art exhibitions. So I was who I am now. Mm -hmm. But then you start to, quite by accident, start to lead companies because that happened to me quite by accident, but then you get into what you do. You get into, yeah, but I, I need to control it. I need to perform, I need to deliver. That there's people that count on me, not only my shareholders, but also the people that work in this company. I felt responsible for three, four, five, six, 600, at, at, at the peak moment, 4,000 households that I was responsible for. So you try to block out all risk. You try to make it controllable. Mm -hmm. um, and by doing that, you get dragged into that rat race of, of leadership. Um, I know the way that we need to go. I have my plan and I need people that help me to execute it and execute it. I have an idea, but I didn't, I, I had like a thousand ideas, but being a leader, at that moment, I knew I could only do like two or three of them. And I had to focus on two or three. So I was pretty far from who I yeah. am at first. Yeah, I mean, if, it, if I, I realize as long as you're in that rat race. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Joris Wallerat, who is now online, he said exactly the same thing. He used to be a VP at TNET and he left because he was, the person he was, was so far from who, who the person he really is. But I'm hearing that from you also. So actually yeah. you had that position, but it was no longer who you really are. And now yeah. you had the time to really come back to let go of all these masks. Yeah, but then, okay, you, you, you get out of business for whatever reason, mm -hmm. and you start doing something else. And now I have the, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a lucky guy. I have the possibility to look upon businesses. I'm no longer in a business looking at my direct business environment and listening to people that come from the outside world and consultants. And I hated consultants, to be honest, because I knew better. Um, but now I am one of those people that are looking at companies from the outside. And the very moment I started to do that, that opened up my eyes and I, that, that made me realize, oh shit, this was me. This was how I was running a company. So. What I never do is to finger point people. You're not a good leader because you do what you do, because I know how fast you get dragged into that daily business. Yeah. I call yeah. that beach chair model. The beach chair model is you're on this overcrowded beach on, in, in Rimini, Italy. Uh, it's a red ocean. You're, the, the ocean is full of, of the beach is full of competitors. 
um, in the morning you wake up a little bit earlier so you can steal an extra row and increase your market share because we all did it to increase our market share and then for the rest of your day you're locked up in your business model smaller chairs put them closer together buy them in china they're, they're cheaper give them fancy colors you're very good at it but you forget to look around you mm -hmm. and i was still a business leader when digitization came into our lives i ran businesses in between the end of the 90s and 2010. Mm -hmm. i knew that something was going on I knew that there was something like the internet, of course I knew it, and I knew I had to have a website. Um, but social media and platform economy that was at the rise when I was still responsible for running companies. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I didn't see it. Yeah. So me too didn't see that something was going on in the environment that this is this was not something that would never touch me it would devastating it would have a devastating effect on my business and i didn't see it at that time yeah. and i'm very yeah. honest about it yeah but i can't understand why business people do not see it because yeah. so, you can only spend your energy once and if all your energy is in performing and in following the kpis and following the procedures and doing and being rewarded by that then you get blind for all the rest. And so, so this is an, and this is also a thing I'm very passionate about. I mean, the whole shareholder value focus thing. I mean, I believe that if your purpose of your company is focus, focusing on just alone shareholder value, that in the long run, you're going to ruin your own company. Yeah, by definition, by definition. Um, it is, um, it's, it's what happens in nature. Um, and that's why I'm writing this book about ecosystems um, in nature. If one of the species becomes too strong, it eats too. Just imagine that you're a lion in, in an ecosystem mm -hmm. and that the lion eats all his place, that's the end of the lion. I mean, yeah. um, it, it, it needs to have a balance. Um, and in business, the economy that we have is an economy that's based on just growing growing yeah. growing yeah um, but we know by definition there is an end somewhere um, you can only grow by eating the others mm -hmm. you can only grow to the max by eating all the others and in the end you've eaten all and then what um so yeah if, if you're only looking at shareholder value um, and we all knew that already. This is not enough. We need to have more than that. And in my keynotes and in my workshop, I always ask the same question to companies and it's so damn difficult to answer that question. And the question is, what would your customers, but even more, what would society miss if your company was not there? Because that is your, that's your reason why you're here. Um, and that's your main reason. And that's the only way you can make a company really sustainable. Yeah. What would society miss if I was not there? And that means that it's not about growth. It's not only about shareholder value. And maybe we should redefine shareholder value into what is a company that I, I have shares in a company. Do I have shares just to 
be profitable and make money or do I have shares? Because I do believe that this company has a purpose yeah. in this world. Yeah. And I hope, I feel that there is more and more people that move to the other side, business leaders, shareholders that move to the other side, that move to maybe it's not just only about shareholder value and it's about something more than that. Um, and I'm involved, and I can't mention the name because I sign an NDA every time I do it, but I'm involved in a company where I do an inspirational keynote and a workshop for the shareholders every year. It's a family-run, large Belgian organization. There's first, second, third, and already fourth generation of shareholders. Mm -hmm. One large family, um, the head of the family, the children, the grandchildren, the grand-grandchildren, and every year we think about the purpose of the company. And over the years, I've seen that shifting from the first generation that wanted shareholder value to the third and the fourth generation, younger people that say, hey, no, it's about caring for people and planet. And you've seen that switch, not only in the shareholders, but then also in the nature of the company. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that now this company is more sustainable and not only sustainable versus people and planet, but sustainable as a company yeah. Yeah. than it was five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, it's like the search for happiness. I mean, if you're going to say my goal is to be happy, that's the stupidest thing that you can do. Happiness is a side effect of being on a mission or some kind of fulfillment that yeah. you're doing. It's like... I want to be rich. Don't focus on the money, but the money is a side effect. You're doing it out of passion. Eh? I mean, yeah. now you're, another thing is also, I also believe in that ecosystem. Um, that's why competitors, I, I don't like that term to be honest, because I, in an ecosystem, you're competitor and working together at the same time. And if you look at the Amazon forest, um, is yeah. that the human species cannot, the human species cannot plant trees at the same speed that the Amazon forest, forest as an ecosystem is, is growing. They, they, yeah. they try to replicate that kind of system, how they do it, system thing, but they cannot replicate. They don't know where the, the and it's that complete ecosystem where everybody, whereas the, the total is more than the sum from the, on the underlying parts and the secret yeah. is in the relationships and not yeah. in the parts itself. Now, yeah, but it's, uh, it's left brain, right brain your left brain is focusing on the things. Your right brain is focusing on the connection between the mm -hmm. things. Um, your left brain sees the things separately. Your right brain sees the holistic view. Yeah. And, uh, and it's that shift that we have to make. Yeah. And I think that this shift is on the way. I think that we've passed the tipping point. Um, and, and if you know you're a leader, you're a CEO, captains of industry, and you're like, oh, this whole ecosystem thing, yeah. I'm interested. Where should they start? Because they have to look differently at things. Where should they start within their company? I think that first of all, they um, in in what you have to realize is that your entry ticket in an ecosystem is in in an in an ecosystem in a business environment ecosystem mm -hmm. data data. Um, there, there need to be sensors that sensor data, that collect data, 
data need to be transferred via network, data need to land somewhere in the brain on a platform. Um, and on top of that platform, um, companies, and that can be other companies, can make applications that do something on top of that platform for consumers or for customers. Um, but your entry ticket is data. If you don't have data, because data can be um, um, processed into information, information can be traded. Um, we, we need to get out of the idea that the only thing that we can trade is money. Yeah. Money is only one of the trading elements that we have. We have so many more types of values that we can trade amongst each other, like data, like information, like safety, like whatever. Um, but what is going around in the ecosystem is data. And if a company is not collecting data for the moment, is not developing sensors to collect data, is not having data pools somewhere, is not capable of transforming data into information, you can never play a role in an ecosystem because this is what binds, um, what, what connects mm -hmm. companies and people yeah. in an ecosystem. So the first thing I say to companies is start being aware of where can you collect data. And then most companies don't realize, and I, I talk about established companies, don't realize that they are very data rich. And why are they very data rich? Because they have customers, they have loads of transactions on a daily basis inside of their company and outside of their company. Every transaction is a data pool. Yeah. But if you only look at the transaction as the transaction between you and your customer, as my customer brings you money, and yeah. I give... I give a product or a service for that, you forget that what you're trading is data and information. And every transaction that you do with a customer delivers you extra information, extra data. Um, so every company can be very data rich if they realize where they can collect data. You can, you can look at, and that's, people always think, okay, um, that transformation, we need to break down my old company to, to build a new one. And I say, no, that's not the case. Use your existing business model, not as only as, because there's a difference between a business model and a, um, a profit model. Yeah. Use your existing business model, not only to make profit, but also as a, um, as a, as a machinery, as a production unit, if you if you think about the business model canvas you have the right side mm -hmm. and the right side on your business model canvas is where you make your money and your left side is what you need to do to make that yeah. money mm -hmm. but if you look at the right side as a data producing machine so it becomes a left side yeah. for a new type of business model then it becomes interesting and that's what i try to do with companies and, and are there any um, examples of companies who are already an inspiration for you today? Um, I'm guiding a number of companies and then it's, it becomes very difficult to yeah, yeah. talk about it because... Well, um, I mean, in the US or something? Yes, it's business. Um, I think that the, the, you, you were already mentioning that the, the, the prototypes for me of, of ecosystems are the Amazons of this world, is yeah. the Alibaba of this world that build real ecosystems. 
I think that a company that is also an example closer to us, but it's at the same range of type of companies, what Bold.com is trying to do in, in, in our markets is also let's not compete against the small retailer, um, but let's, let's it's not join them, let's not partner, let's build an ecosystem yeah. and live, let live. Yeah. Um, and what do we trade? Um, we're not only trading money, but also trading data. We're trading information. That that's, and I'm not saying that they are already there, um, but I, I'm I'm I know the people very well, and I know that they are busy in one step after the other building that ecosystem because they know that the only way they're going to be able to survive and to compete against Amazon is not on their own. Yeah. They need that ecosystem yeah. to survive that huge power that the Amazons of the Alibabas of this world have. And if they would not be part of an ecosystem, they would be wiped away. The only chance of survival is being part of an ecosystem. So it's not something that they do because they love to do it, something they do because they feel the need to do, to do that. Yeah, but it's a very interesting example. I was at an event a couple of years ago where Fun presented, and um, they they had changed management. And then the first the first wave, it was around 2012. They were they really saw Bold.com as a, a really huge competitor. But then the management changed, and then the complete they took they, they, they drew the card of digitization, and then they said we're going to embrace that Bold.com thing. And right now, Bold.com that marketplace ecosystem is opening new markets regionally for for uh, for fun so yeah. it's just shifting and not seeing everybody as a competitor but seen as an opportunity interesting uh, yeah exactly it's not the zero sum game it is how do you how do you work together and yeah. um, forget forget about th there's a couple of old type concepts like competition is an old type concept yeah market share is an old type of concept that's all concepts that date that that were valuable valuable in the old economy that don't fit anymore as a concept in the the new type of economy that i hope that we're building and do, do you think that in order to grow or transform or morph into that new way of thinking is then or that a company who is now in, in a good shape was is now yeah, deteriorating and is going to become in, in a very bad place that they will feel the pain, that they will feel the need to embrace that ecosystem? Or do you believe that, no, immediately replace the sea levels with um, the new way of thinking? That's the way? I think that what companies need to do, if, if you're late, um, if, you're, if your place or if a place is already taken in an in a ecosystem, you can't enter an ecosystem anymore. Mm -hmm. um, um, you, you can't play a role in that ecosystem. So. Ecosystem are, are ecosystems are formatting right now. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, there's, there's loads of data. Um, what I say that every transaction is a data pool, mm -hmm. um, that, that means that it can only become a data pool if you have the sensors built in to turn the transaction into data. That was something that was maybe impossible like five years ago, but something that you can do today. Yeah, we live in a world of big data. We live in a hyper-connected world in which everything is already connected by ones and zeros. So 
first of all, you need big data. Um, and if companies are too late in getting into that game, they don't stand a chance. The second is that all companies will be obliged to use all those data to put you as a customer in the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. We move from a world from mass production to a world of mass personalization. Yeah. Um, every individual knows that he can treat it, be treated as an individual. You're mm -hmm. no longer the customer, you are the customer, um, the customer. And you might be somebody else in the morning than you are in the evening. And you want a type of personal relationship with your company that understands you and understand who you are. You need to be really the center of the universe. So companies are going to use your data, not to upsell, cross-sell, or deep-sell, but to understand you, to show I understand you. You're the center of the universe. Um, but whether you're an insurance company or a bank or a whatever, you're going to do the same. And the only reason why I, as a customer, would allow you to do this is because you do good for me. You mean something in my life. Um, but I can't do this with 100 companies. I can only allow like a limited number of mm. companies in my life. So this is pretty devastating. So all companies are going to collect data to put you in the center of the universe. They're all going to try to play a role in your life. So we're no longer going, no company is going to be capable of doing that on its own. Oh, yeah. They need to, and now again, an old fashioned um, concept. They need to partner already right now with other companies. And um, my, 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 my favorite example is, just imagine, I pre-COVID or post-COVID, I need to take a plane to Berlin. Mm -hmm. That is a one-hour flight, but I lose a whole day. Mm -hmm. Hassle. And I'm, I'm going to go through more hassle than before COVID. J just imagine that instead of taking a plane, which is quite a hassle, I would be um, capable of, of that. There would be a self-driving hotel room that stops in front of my house. I get in, no corona hassle, and that drives me all the way to Berlin at night, and I can sleep. I can watch a Netflix movie, I can listen to Spotify, I eat a meal, and I sleep, and in the morning, I'm in Berlin. Mm -hmm. It takes me a whole night, but okay, it's, it's fun, and it's easy, it's clean, it's safe, why not? But if you think about it, that's pretty devastating. If you're an airliner, that's pretty devastating. If mm -hmm. you're a hotel uh, chain, that's pretty devastating. If you're an insurance company, all that type of stuff, unless, and it's happening right now because I'm involved in one of those projects, they say, yeah, but why don't we set up an ecosystem? Yeah. If the automotive company works together with the hotel company, works together with an airliner, to set up this type of hyper-personalized service. And this is going to happen. Yeah. And so one ecosystem will fight another ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, so instead of companies fighting, it will be ecosystems that fight for your, my attention. Yeah. It, it's, an it's, it's a very fascinating thing. Um, I think six months ago, I was talking to a CEO of an, um, a fashion retailer. So they are making the clothes themselves, targeting men um, from 30 until 50 60 years old and i was like i asked him what are you struggling with and he said yeah 
the, the numbers are okay, but we're not growing that fast. And I asked him, why is that? I don't know. I think it's because people are spending that they are spending their money on other stuff than just clothes. And my 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 response was, and like what uh, iPhones and things like that. And I was like, why don't you sell and clothes and iPhones in the same store? And he was like, Peter, are you stupid? And I'm like, no, just adapt. And he was like, I cannot do that. We're a family company. I've done that for years, and my parents and so on. I was like, conversation over. And for me, that's the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, and and again, it's a matter of time, you know. Um, as a customer, you can only, I mean, look at an old, another old-fashioned concept: partnership. All companies say we want to partner with our customers. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, but how many partners can you allow in your life? You can't allow like a thousand companies in your life. You can't partner up with thousand companies. The number of partners that you will allow in your life, and especially if that are companies, brands, that will be limited. Mm -hmm. You don't have the place for a thousand partners. Come on. So either it's pure convenience, and then you don't call them a partner. They're just fulfilling your basic needs, mm -hmm. or you're going to have a very limited number of partners. Mm. Um, but all companies look at banks, look at insurance companies, look at retailers. They all now want to be the part, your partner for life. Mm -hmm. Come on, how many partners for life do I want in a company? Mm. I already have, and I'm, I'm not, I can't say Apple because I'm not a partner of life for life for Apple. But just imagine I'm like one of, okay, let's take Tesla. I'm a partner of life for Tesla. Mm -hmm. But um, how many others am I going to allow in my life? But the very moment that Tesla brings clothing and, and um, earphones and phones, why not? Um, because I'm already partnering with that company. I love the guy. I love his ideas. Yeah, and I know that when he brings products, I know that will be in line with who he is and what he wants to achieve and accomplish, not only for himself, but for the world. And that's the type of companies I'm looking for. Yeah, but that's easy. This afternoon, my son was playing with, with some kind of uh, yeah, car thing and he was having fun. And of course, he's almost three years old. So half of them he already lost somewhere. And yeah. so I was like, mm, he's enjoying that. I should buy some extension kits. So what I do, I do not go to a toy retailer, but I go to bold.com. Why? Yeah. For me, it's simple. Books, because I like reading books, so I buy them on bold.com. And for all the other stuff, uh, even the stupid things I buy there because I don't have to think it's there and it's easy. The same, my, my headphone broke down, uh, box buff, and it's, it's arranged. So I, it, these things make my life very simple. I don't want to think or do the searching. I know I can find it there. I need it right now or tomorrow or today after. And because it's for me, it's, it makes me happy because I can make my son happy. Yeah, that's the reason why Ball has turned into an ecosystem because they know that the very moment you find your way to ball, you hope to find whatever product that ball. Yeah. But ball on his own cannot have all, all those products in the warehouse. They have like 17 or 18 million products already for the moment. They can't do it on their own. Mm -hmm. So they need to partner up with other companies and it's not the partnership, it's an ecosystem. Yeah. And why? Because 
you want to find whatever product at bold.com. Why? Because you used to go to bold.com. It's a partner for that type of impulsive, I need something and I don't want to do, go through the hassle to take my car and drive to a shop and hope that they have it. Um, I'm going to, to, to find it on bold.com and okay, I'm not even going to compare the prices, you know, um, and I'll have it tomorrow morning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, another thing um, which we did not touch, touch upon is your passion, fascination for sex. Yeah. Where did you get that fascination for customer experience? Um, that is my, my, um, my experience as, as um, leading a business. Um, I have been in the carpet tile industry mm -hmm. carpet tiles mm -hmm. for um almost 20 years now that is the prototype of a very old-fashioned bloody red industry mm -hmm. there's loads of overproduction there's loads of overcapacity and um it's a red ocean full of sharks and what i learned there is that i've always been successful not by introducing new products, but by focusing on my customers, on customer needs, mm -hmm. on um, gathering, collecting data on my customers in a very early stage. I just said that I was blind for technology, but that was not fully the case because I, I introduced my first URM system back in 89. And at mm -hmm. that moment, it was not even called a CRM system because that time was only coined later on. Um, but I saw the potential of having my customer data in some type of automated environment. It was still in MS-DOS, can you imagine? Um, but I, there my fascination started. Okay, if I put the customer in the center of the universe and if I better understand the customer, then my competitors even if i understand the customer better than i know myself i don't have to go into that rat race of introducing new products every month or every two months or every six months there's been years i didn't introduce one single product the only thing i did was in in um, empower my people to be close to their customers to put the customer in the, in the center of the universe and to really listen to the, what to the customer's needs and to work on the interface between my company and the customer so if i've been able to grow companies in the red ocean and i've always been able to do that that was never by focusing on the products but always by focusing on the customer and then i started to see how digitization could help there mm -hmm. and then you look at what is the big secret of um the early days of an uber i'm not talking about uber for the moment but uber in the early days at the start in 2010 that was customer centricity it's just taxi business but just do the taxi business not a little bit better but 10 times better than the traditional taxi business take away the customer frustrations and turn customer frustrations into customer delight so that you as a customer get addicted to the better interface so my fascination has always been driven by results. Driven by results um, showed me that if I put the customer in the center of the universe, that brought me money. Yeah. Now, you know, 
I mean, a lot of people talk about customer centricity or customer experience. I mean, and a lot of people then are going to say, look team, we're going to make sure that the customers are happy and people push your people internally to make sure the customers are happy. I mean, but then you have employee centricity. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, who was it? It was Mark Zuckerberg who said, first we focus on the people. We're going to make them happy. And the people, yeah. the happy people are making are going to make our customers happy. What's your take on that? I mean, it's easy. You start with your, you start with your customers. You can have loads of happy employees, mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that you have happy customers. If you have happy customers, that means by definition that you can, that you need to also focus on your employees. Okay. Um, And I always compare it with, you throw a stone in water. You stone that falls into the water. That is your customer in the center of the universe. And then you get those, those waves. Yeah, those circles around the stone. And the first circle is what does your customer want to experience? Mm -hmm. The next circle is how do your people interact with your customer? And if they are not happy, then they're not going to interact in a nice way with your customer. Customer centricity is the start. And one of the first waves around that is, yes, of course, employees need to be happy. And yes, of course, we need to have a culture in which this is possible. Yes, of course, and that is an, another circle. We need a management style that allows this. And only then you look at the products and the services that you're going to apply to be able to do that. But it starts with the customer in the center. But it's holistic. Um, it is not, it's even not the chicken in the egg. It starts with the customer, but you can't have happy customers and not have happy employees, but you can't have happy employees, or without happy employees, you're never going to have a happy customer. So, so it's an, 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 an. But it, it, you cannot start with the employee. The starting point is your customer. And so an organization. If, if, if you have happy, happy customers, if you make, make your customers happy, a KPI for your employees, you will see that it will increase employee happiness and employee satisfaction very fast because there is no better motivator for people than to be allowed to make people happy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. And as a a leader today, a lot of people talk about uh, customer centricity. Where do you see that most organizations are stuck with? Because they, they in, infiltrate it in their marketing campaigns, but it's still a very shallow thing. Where do you feel they are stuck, in your opinion? Um, what I see in most of the cases is that they talk about customer centricity and don't change the balance scorecards or the KPIs. Um, okay. You cannot say to your people, we have to put the customer in the center of the universe and it's all about uh, customer um, happiness. And, um, but you know what? In the end of the day and at the end of the, the week and at the end of the month and at the end of the year, it's still about the same type of KPIs 
than we used to run like five or ten years ago. Um, and it's about how much profit do we make and how much have we sold to those customers. I mean, it's still translated happy customers is if we have happy customers, we sell more. Um, yes, of course, but as you already said, that's, that's, that's a, a result. That's not how you measure it. So it's, it's a matter of, of how you measure it. And the, the, the biggest threat I see is that it's been said, but it's not being translated into something that you measure, into something that is a KPI. Um, and I'm against KPIs if the KPIs are old-fashioned KPIs in a modern type of company, because then it is, um, it's a block. But if you know how to develop new KPIs, then it happens. So for me, the biggest hurdle I see is companies that say they are customer centric, but don't translate it into new type of KPIs and processes and procedures. Moreover, if you say to your customers, to your employees, the customer is the center, then you cannot turn what you just imagine you work for me mm -hmm. um, and you have to deal with customers. And mm -hmm. I say what you can do and what you cannot do how the heck can you then put the customer in the center of the universe? Yeah. It's not about, there is no process or procedures how you have to deal with the customer because every customer is different and every customer is in different circumstances. Mm -hmm. And if a customer has a problem, then that problem at that moment is the biggest problem in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that customer needs to be helped. So you have to be allowed to help the customer and that I cannot put that in a process and a procedure the only way I can make this tangible for you is to explain to you the values of the company and to say, look, Peter, as long as you follow the values of the company, you can do whatever to help that customer. And then it's no longer process or procedure driven behavior that I want you to do, but it's value driven behavior. Now, how many companies I know one or two companies worldwide that run their organization based on values and not on processes and procedures. Okay. As long as you run it on processes and procedures, you're not really customer centric by yeah. definition. Yeah, yeah. But for me, what you're saying there, give full ownership and even trust to your employee and make sure he's aligned with your values and then it, yeah. it, will, it will solve themselves. They will act like a pater bonus pater familias. Yeah, exactly. And and you, you've you've given the one of the most important words. Eh? It's trust. Trust your customer. Trust your employee. And if you can't trust your customer, if you can't trust your employee, then maybe look in the mirror. And then we come back to mindful leaders. Yeah, that's it. Eh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about KPIs. Um, you're writing a new book about net curiosity score. Where did you get that term? Did you did you were standing in your shower and one day it popped into your head? Um, no, it's not. Uh, no, but, um, I've 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 started to be involved in many companies, and I don't know what I am. Am I a coach? Am I an advisor? Am I an inspirator? I, I don't want to know, to be honest. I'm I'm a little bit of all of that. Um, but I've been involved in in like a hundred companies for the last 10 years. So that's a lot of companies. Um, 
maybe maybe close to a thousand companies. And if I look back to companies that are successful, that I think that can be successful, that I think that will be sustainable, and I was looking for what is the common what what is the common element to see whether a company is capable of surviving this twilight zone or not. And if I look back at it, I came to, it's all about curiosity. If I meet curious leaders that run a curious company that's open for the environment, that is always looking at what's the next challenge, but to, to see it as an opportunity that don't block whatever is not, not, not wanted outside of the company, but say, okay, this is, this is the case. What can we do with it? Um, for me, it was the, the common element is net curiosity. Net curiosity on a meta level, that is the company is curious. It is on a personal level. We have curious people and that helps in your connection with the outside world. But it also helps, we, we all, I mean, one of the buzzwords is we need to become a network organization. Eh? Let's let's mm -hmm. tear down the, the pillars. Uh, let's tear down the uh, the hierarchy. Yeah. Let's get let's let's become a connected company. And then what connects people? It's also curiosity. I'm I'm curious about why. I mean, if you have an opinion, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to ask you why do you have that opinion? Yeah. If you ask me the same then we get on a higher level and we get connected. So it, it, it all comes down to what is the common element? And for me, the common element was net curiosity. It was curiosity. And then I said, okay, I know no company worldwide that measures curiosity. Yeah. While if I look back, it might be the most important KPI that the company can run, especially now that we're going to go through this twilight zone and between the old normal and the new normal that... You can't run a, a company based on assumptions. What's the antidote for assumptions? Again, it's curiosity. What's the antidote for a blame culture? Because most companies are still run by blame culture. What's the perfect antidote for a blame culture? It is passionate curiosity. So, curiosity. And uh, what's next? Next compassion uh, rate? I, I, I never know what, what's next. I'm... I'm um, I'm writing now on this uh, little book of ecosystems. Um, that will be a small one and an easy one, easy to swallow, um, very hands-on. And then the Net Curiosity Score is a book that is going to be um, even more on the philosophical side of, of business. Um, it's more the, the business philosopher in me that is going to write that book. So it's, it's, it's yeah, it's too... Um, it, it, it's two sides of, of, of how I look on business. One very hands-on and the other side more like, let's, let's look at it and, and try to think about what is business and what is business all about. And then the next step, I don't know yet. I'll say. I, I really have the, I don't know, it's my intuition, but I really have the feeling that you that you're why that the reason why you're doing it that you really want to want to make the world a better place yeah but it's the perspective of of uh, becoming a, grand, a grandfather is it yeah oh, yeah absolutely um when you have children um you still i mean if i look at me and my 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 um 
my parents, there's there's difference of, of 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're young, that is a lot. But now that, the that, gap. that, that gap is closing, you grow old together. So I'm going to grow old if everything is normal. I'm going to grow old with my children. But I won't be there for the next generation. I won't be there with my grandchildren and with my grand-grandchildren. So all of a sudden, having grandchildren, the grandchildren changes your perspective on the world, on, on my purpose on this planet. It's no longer about me. It's about my legacy. And that is a heavy word, you know, your legacy. I don't want my grandchildren to look at me and say, hey, this guy had some type of influence, but he didn't use it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I've built up this limited influence quite by accident. It's never been my purpose. But now I have this more or less in, in the palm of my hands. Yeah. I want to do something meaningful with it. So that's the shift I've seen in, in, in my own life in between 2010 and now. First of all, this gradually getting some influence, never been the purpose, but now I have it. And at the same time, becoming a grandfather, my, my oldest grandson is, is five and my youngest granddaughter is three. So you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Um, it, it changes my perspective. So that's the reason why I want to yeah, make this world a better place because this is the place where they are going to have to live and I'm responsible. I, I, and I'm I, not, and I'm not proud with the world as it is for the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think in a previous life you were uh, part of um, the native Indians because there, they every decision that they are doing or taking, they say it's we're going to take it for now and for the next seven generations. What will be the impact yeah. of it? It's a uh, that's yeah, a nice. I one. wish I wish this was. Um, Maybe if I were going to write a book <laughs> again, this is what it's, that, that this is, I think that politicians, leaders, thank you for the, for the advice. I think that politicians, leaders should have that perspective all the time. Mm. Let's do something. Let's think about when we do it, what will be the, implement, the implications for the next seven generations and that's because a lot of people think that they think that they cannot have any impact on a global scale because it's completely bullshit they think yeah i'm small and the, uh, for in st stupid things like, like drawing garbage on the streets i mean just don't do that just pick it up and we're all, we're all responsible again it's ecosystem thinking we're all responsible we're all that single i mean it's it's the butterfly effect yeah Every small element in the world has an effect yeah that's it and I really? influence you, you influence me we're all and especially yeah. now in this connected world we're all influences all of us is an influencer and everybody is being influenced by everybody so we have an impact everybody has an impact yeah and some people have an impact of of one and some people have an impact of 10 and some people have an impact of 20 but everybody has got an impact and yes. i can be even if i have an impact of 20 i might be influenced by somebody that has an impact of one 
we have this conversation and you mentioned something I knew and forgotten about that Indian look upon your responsibility. I take that out of this and this is going to influence my thinking. Yeah, but that, but that's the way it works. Eh? That's, that's, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to, we're going to close down. We're, we're, we just have reached an hour. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, when I started podcasts, I mean, we had a conversation in Amsterdam like two, three years ago um, yeah. when you were speaking there. So you, you were one of my top guests and um, yeah, it was for me uh, an, an honor having you because I really admire your philosophy, yeah. customer centricity, the purpose thinking, the mindful leadership, and also the rock and roll part of it because rock and roll. Yeah, the rock and roll part of it that is, um, it's, it's the cutting edge. You, you only get, um, and, and being raw, being close to yourself. But that's it. Um, just, I mean, don't think, I'm, of course you take care of other people, but um, I never think about pleasing the audience. Um, I like to have fun on stage I like people to have fun, but I never try to please the audience by just pleasing the audience. No, I, and I saw that in one of your posts of LinkedIn, I was shocked. There was a guy, I'm not going to mention his name, and he was like, you describing you as some kind of Flemish fool, um, <laughs> overaged, running around with a, with, a, with a hoodie on stage. Yeah, Bambling, yeah. yeah. I, and I was like, but this is what we need more. We need more of cutting the bullshit and cutting the crap and stop making simple things so complex and going back to yeah, the roots again. I mean, and I was, and, uh, and I, I can get very angry as well. And I was angry at that moment. Um, I, I love people and, um, but I get angry by stupidity. There's, there's only one thing I don't like. It's stupid people. And there's difference between stupid and stupid. Stupid has got nothing to do with IQ. Stupid has got to do with you have the IQ, but you miss abuse or you forget to use it. Um, for him, um, you can only talk about business if you're wearing a suit and a tie. Yeah, that yeah. was his. That was his shortcut. So I don't. I wear t-shirts and I wear hoodies. So you can't be taken serious. Okay, for me that that is. I get angry at that moment. I shouldn't do that. It's a waste of time and energy. But it's it's. But it's rock and roll to get angry at me at that moment. Yeah, I mean, it's being authentic, it's about being real. And I really believe that um, people buy from people and they buy from people who are working in organizations who are real and authentic. And it's, again, about trust. And it's, it's the twilight zone and we're going to enter in an era where people, yeah, they're going to, they, they don't want to bullshit anymore. They, re they really want to connect with other people. That's what I think we learned in COVID. We missed a real connection. Um, we have discovered the power of digital. And at the same time, we have discovered how much we miss real human connections. Yeah. And it's a combination of the two. Yeah. yeah. But we, we have been rewired. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm already convinced that I've, I've now re-entered the offline world the fact that we call it the offline world is so strange already but i re-entered the offline world 
and the offline world is not how I remembered it. And it's the same, but it's here. I look at the offline world in a different way. I was living in the offline world. I've been living an online life mm -hmm. now for a couple of weeks. And I, I come back in the offline world and I look upon the offline world and I, I it's not the same. It, it, it feels different. And is that, and is that, is that I, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I'm not part of. Yeah. Yeah. And is, is that the feeling of distance for you again, where in the past you were flying all over the world, now distance is again, yeah, how would you say it's again long, longer than before? Um, I don't, I, I can't really explain what it is. And I think that our brains will get used to it as well. I think it's a matter of, of how your brain is being, um, you know, you know the uh, experiments where people get glasses that turns everything upside down. And after a couple of weeks, it's even a couple of days, the brain adapts. The brain doesn't see the world upside down anymore because your brain has adapted. And I think by, I don't know how your life is, but I've been spending like seven days a week and eight hours a day or 10 hours a day behind the screen, mm. talking to people on the screen. And in the beginning, my brain was tired yeah. at the evening. Yeah. And then your brain gets used to it. Yeah. And now uh, I go back into the real world and talk to real people in a real environment and my brain is tired. Yeah. And it's the same type of, it's been rewired to do this and now it has to readjust on that other. And that's so strange. Yeah. But it's, you have to look it up on YouTube. You can see it's, it's called uh, a pen with an ant. So they have an ant, so an ant, and it's running around and they take a marker and they draw a circle and the ant will not leave the circle. And it's the same with a fish. So they have a ball and the fish is swimming and then they take away the, the glass and then the fish can swim, but he yeah. doesn't. And it's the same with an elephant where they attach him to a tree and then at, I don't know, a couple of months, there is no uh, string attached to the tree and the elephant is still standing there. So, um, but I have to, I have to admit doing back-to-back uh, -back calls, or Zoom calls or Skype or whatever calls all day long. I have, are they, I, I learned that I need to de, how do you say that? Walk, I actually appreciate more walking into nature because you mentioned oh, yeah. nature. And, um, I can tell you that when, when we would have this, this conversation within a year and everything goes back into, I can travel again and there will be stages again and there will be audiences again. I will love it. No doubt. I will get used to it. I just say now that the first couple of days was kind of, of um, mm -hmm. adjusting my brain again. Strangely okay. enough. Yeah. Rick, you're a very beautiful person making the world a better place. I thank you for the nice conversation. That's not my content. It's the way um, you know how to get me to tell things that um, I didn't even know that I would talk about. So thank you. Yeah, I had completely prepared a lot of questions, which I didn't ask any of it. It's complete yeah. flow. You know that flow? It's yeah. co-creation. It's, 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 it's that relationship. It's, that, it's like creating yeah. music. It's like having people 
And you know, you're a big music fan. It's like when you, when you go to see Prince when he was alive, and suddenly he connects with the audience and his musicians, and then you knew there was something special was going on. He cannot explain it. And it was like everybody has lost complete sense of time. And it's the same thing you have when you have a conversation, when you're like having that curiosity. Yeah. And you just go, and it's that awareness. It's really about not thinking, oh, what is going to be our next question? It's really about what are you saying? And it's about, oh, that's interests me. And then you go on and, and yeah, that's yeah. the way it works. So for me, it's a natural I, I, I thing. Call it, I call it the jam session. Yeah, it is a jam session. It's, it is a jam session. I, I, that's what I try to do at, at my webinars as well with the interaction with people. I say, okay, this is the biggest difference between a webinar and an on-stage on performance. In a webinar, you can have a jam session. You can have your Q&As and, and you start to jam and everybody brings something in and, and from time to time you change the, the theme and you change the okay, we, we've had enough and now let's go to something else. Yeah. I'm talking about Prince, I had the great luck once in my life um, to be invited at an after party in Las Vegas. So I had an after party with him, like with like, what was it, 200 people? Oh um, and he kept, on, he kept on going for the whole night. I didn't sleep that night. I'm jealous. I'm so yeah. jealous. Oh. I was with somebody that said, you know what? And you had to pay while you entered. And that's the fee that he gave to his musicians. Um, it was quite expensive, uh, but it was worth every second. Yeah. 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 He's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> and yeah. those, no smartphones are allowed and things like that. Eh? No, 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 no. But that was even in the 80s. So okay. forget smartphones, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Thanks, Rick. Hang on a little bit. And um, yeah, thank, thank you. you. And um, yeah. see you next time. Eh? See you next time. Bye bye, Peter. Bye. -bye. Uh